Thank you so much for being here today. And I know Tammy has some co-workers and friends here today, and we appreciate you coming to support her. And uh, we're, we're continuing a, a sermon series I started a few weeks ago titled Let's Talk because uh, talking is something we all do a lot of, but we don't all do it well. And there's a good way to talk and a not so good way to talk, a way to talk that blesses and helps people, and a way to talk that hurts and discourages people, and God wants us to do it really, really well. And this morning we're going to focus for a few minutes on how Christians are supposed to talk, those of us who follow Jesus Christ. And I invite you to open your Bible with me, please, to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're doing that, let me, let me begin by asking you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where someone was just being rude? I mean, over-the-top rude, being a jerk, either toward you or someone else, but you were there and had to endure it. Anybody ever been in a situation like that? Raise your hand. Others of you, no? We've all been there, right? I heard about a guy who uh, owned a small local hotel and over time was really tired of customers just being a jerk, yelling, screaming, pitching fits over just anything sometimes and, and going overboard and being really, really rude. And one day he was, he was there at the, at the counter at the desk and this lady was just going off, making all these facial expressions. She was screaming. Her arms were flailing. And, and he was kind of tuning her out. He wasn't really saying anything. But as she was, she was going on, he, he remembers thinking to himself, she looks like a monkey. I mean, her arms are going everywhere and all that. And he just had that image in his mind. And all of a sudden, he got this idea. So he purchased and had installed on the wall behind the, the check-in counter at the hotel this really large mirror so that every time a customer checked in, they would have to see their own reflection. And he noticed something. As people would begin to lose their cool and say and do things, they would see their reflection, how they looked, how they were acting, and all of a sudden they would usually start to calm down. The truth is we don't always see ourselves accurately. We don't always understand how we're coming across, how rude we may be, how, how out of line we may be. And something that's good for all of us to do is occasionally look in the mirror and do some self-reflecting. In fact, as followers of Christ, we want to do that because we're always wanting to grow and, 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 and get better, and God tells us to do that. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 1. Paul says that he's a prisoner of the Lord. He's in jail for the faith at this time when he writes this. He says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He said, I'm begging you, pleading with you to walk or live in a way that is worthy of the fact that you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. You say, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian. He said, well, then live in a way that's worthy of that title, of that name. Look at what else he, he wrote in verse 17 of chapter 4. He said, this I say to you, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. What he's talking about there is, don't live like everybody else out there in the world who's not a follower of Christ. You're a follower of Christ. You don't live like everybody else. You don't act like everybody else. You're different. 
You don't take your cue about what's right and wrong, your cue about how to talk and treat people from what the world generally does as a follower of Christ. And look at verse 22 of chapter 4. He said, in reference to your former manner of life, the way you lived before you followed Christ, before you gave your life to Jesus, he said, lay aside the old self. It's like I would take off this, 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 this jacket and lay it to the side. He said, the person you were before you became a follower of, of Jesus, lay that person aside. That's not who you are anymore. And so the way you live as a follower of Christ is to be different than the way you used to live. Then one more verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God. Seriously? Imitators of God? As beloved children. Now, when kids are little and they're cute... They love to act like mom and dad. They, they copy us. And then we get older and we say, I'm not going to be anything like my mother. I'll be nothing like my dad. And then you hit 40, 50, 60. You look in the mirror one day and you say, wow, in that, in that, in that, in that, in that part of life, I'm just like mom. I'm just like dad. Because kids imitate their parents, sometimes even when they don't want to. And the Bible says we're children of God. As a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who's committed your life to Jesus Christ, you are his child. You're a child of God. Therefore, imitate your father. That's a conscious decision we make to be more like our spiritual daddy, if you will, our heavenly father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the kicker. If I'm to live like a follower of Christ in a way worthy of that and imitate my father, not live like I used to and not take my cue from the world, if I'm to live that way, be different, that difference includes how I talk. See, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if I'm living differently, that includes the way I speak to people and the way I speak about people. A changed life will show up in changed speech. And what's really interesting, in chapter 4, he, he mentioned several times as we saw how we're to, we're to live differently because we're a follower of Christ. Well, it's also interesting that in these two chapters, chapter 4 and 5, he says a lot about talking because talking is a big part of a changed life. And I want us to look at a few verses and learn some lessons about how a Christian is supposed to talk, a follower of Jesus is supposed to talk. All right, and the first lesson is this, be honest. We're supposed to be honest. Look in chapter 4 at verse 25, Ephesians 4, verse 25. He said, therefore, laying aside falsehood, take off the coat, take off the jacket, take off lying and deceit, falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, quoting the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In Proverbs chapter 6, the Bible says there are seven things that God hates. Second on that list is a lying tongue. And so he says, if you're someone who lies, you deceive people, you don't always tell the truth, take that jacket off, lay it aside, and become someone who speaks truth, who's honest, who doesn't lie. Now, God is not just about the don'ts. Don't do that. He's also about the do's. Do this. It's not just the negative. He's also the positive. It's not just, here's the bad habits. Over here's the good habits. 
And what God is saying is when you, when you take off this coat, you take off the lying, the falsehood, you put on a different one. God wants you to replace the negative with the positive, the bad with the good, the things that hurt with the things that help. And what he says here is replace lying with honesty. Speak truth to your neighbor. Replace lying with honesty. And he says because we are members of one another. Listen, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are united together in Jesus Christ. The New Testament uses the body as an analogy for the family of God, that all of us are members of the body. We're not all the same part. You know, your body has hand, feet, fingers, eyes, ear, tongue, etc. We're all different, different backgrounds, different gifts, etc., but we make up one body. And what the Bible says is when you hurt a member of that body, you do more than just hurt that person. You hurt the whole body. Whether you know it or not, you're aware of it or not, understand it or not, you hurt the whole body. And in fact, when you hurt another member of the body, you are in reality hurting yourself. Now, yesterday I worked in the garage a little bit and uh, skint my knuckle. You ever done that? It's just one finger, small skin, you know, another week, the flesh will be back, it'll be fine. But it hurt when I did it, and it wasn't just the knuckle that felt it. Those nerves sent sensations to other parts of my body. When you lie to a fellow believer, you do more than hurt that fellow believer. You damage the body of Christ. You damage the reputation of Christ. You damage this church. And you damage yourself in the process. And so God says, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, instead of lying, be a person who is honest. Number two, be encouraging in your speech. Be an encourager. Look at verse 29 of chapter 4. He said, let no one, we looked at this a few weeks ago, but let's look again real quickly. He said, let no unwholesome or corrupt or you know, something that causes decay and death. Don't let any speech like that proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, for building up, for encouraging, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear it. God wants us to speak in such a way that we build people up. Talk in a way that you build up your family. Talk in a way that you build up your co-workers. Talk in a way that you build up this church. Talk in a way that you build up the reputation of Jesus in this community. Don't talk in such a way that you cause pain at home. Don't talk in such a way that you make things bad at work. Don't talk in such a way that you, you, you cause disruption in this church. Don't talk in such a way that out there in the community people listen to you and they say, why would, ever I, why, why would I ever want to go to church if that's how Christians talk? Talk to build up, to edify, to encourage, to make something better, not worse. Talk in a way to help, not hurt. Be encouraging. Number three, don't destroy somebody else's reputation. Don't destroy someone's reputation. Look in chapter 4 again at verse 31. Verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you with all malice. The truth is, and it's interesting to me that this in this verse, slander, talking bad about other people, is in the middle of a verse that talks about bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, malice. Because isn't this true? We are more likely to run somebody down 
when we're mad. Right? When we're angry, we're more likely to say something that hurts, that tears down. And therefore, when we're angry and our emotions are just running crazy, I've been there, you've been there. So the next time, when, when, when you're angry, that is when you need to slow down, as we talked about last week, and really think hard about what you're going to say. There are people in this room carrying around scars and wounds today because of something someone said in a fit, in a rage, when they were angry. But the cut was made. And it left a scar. And so you're mad at somebody. Don't run around telling everybody how awful so-and-so is destroying their reputation. You know what's really interesting to me? Verse 31 talks about slandering people and being angry and running down the reputation. Verse 29, speech that is corrupt which causes death versus speech that edifies or builds up. In between those two verses, like a piece of meat on a sandwich, is a verse that Christians quote all the time but normally quote out of context. Look at what that verse says, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you've been sealed until the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that a verse on grieving, making sad the Spirit of God is sandwiched between two verses focused on how we talk to people and talk about people. You know why? As a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. And if the person you're running down, the person you're slandering, the person you're discouraging, whatever, if that person is a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within him or her as well. And when you, like a laser being focused on that person, and you rip them to shreds, if they are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not only attacking that person, you are attacking the Holy Spirit of God who is living inside that person. And he's telling us in this passage that the way we talk if it's wrong, is a habit that offends and saddens the heart of God just like all these other habits that we think are really, really bad. Speech matters. How we talk to people and how we talk about people matters, God says. So what's the antidote? Remember I said, you know, God's none about just, just the don'ts, but also the do's. Don't do this, but hey, do this. What's the antidote? Well, it's the, it's, it's the very next verse. Verses 29, 30, 31. Look at verse 32. Here's the antidote. Be kind to one another. B-K-I-N-D. Be kind. What, what is that? Say that word. What is that? Say it loudly. Again, one more time. That's a great word. God says, be kind. That's the antidote. 
Learn to be kind. If the world wants to act like jerks, let them. But you be different. You be a Christ follower. You imitate God. You be kind. Because let me ask you, is God being kind to you? Tender-hearted. That's a good thing. Forgiving each other. Uh Uh-oh. That's a hard thing. Forgiving each other. Because they deserve it? No. Because they didn't mean it? Not necessarily. Why? Forgive each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. How many times have you let God down? How many times have you said to God, God, I'm sorry I did that. I won't ever do it again. And then you did it again. And then you said, God, I'm sorry I won't do it again. And you did it again. And you said, God, I'm really sorry this time. And I promise you, God, I won't do it anymore. And you did it some more. Anybody? How many times has God forgiven you? God says, you want, you want to know how I want you to be as my follower? Imitate me. Now, we're not going to be as good at it as God, right? But that's not an excuse for not trying. That's not an excuse for not asking God to help us do better at it. Because just like those beautiful, precious little kids, okay, love to make mommy and daddy happy. As followers of Jesus Christ, we love to make our father happy. And you know the the beautiful thing is, when you make your heavenly father happy, you end up being happier. It just works that way. Okay? So don't run down other people's reputation. God doesn't like it when we do that. Number four, don't celebrate sin. Don't talk in such a way that makes light of sin and celebrate what is wrong. Don't celebrate sin. Look in chapter 5 of Ephesians at verse 3. After telling us to be imitators of God, in verse 3 he says, But immorality and impurity and greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Saints is a word for all believers, all Christians. Not just really, really holy, 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 holy people. Saint, all of us are saints if we're followers of Christ. We belong to God. And he says at the beginning of verse 3, don't let immorality and impurity, so on, be named among you. Back in the 90s, late 90s, I was in the uh, inaugural class of a leadership um, process in the Charlotte Metro region. It's still going on today. Each year there's a different class, and I was in the first class. Bringing together leaders from Charlotte and the surrounding counties so that people could get to know each other and just work on community issues. And and uh, I was one of two people representing York County. We, we, we were together for a year. We'd spend one day a month somewhere in the region, and they would bring in experts from around the country just to teach and train us and have workshops and so on. Part of that leadership experience was an outward bound 
trip. Uh, we spent we spent several days together up at Table Rock, not the one in South Carolina, but the more remote one up in, in over in North Carolina. We hiked and we camped and we we, we climbed up to the top of Table Rock. Um, don't take any young kids up there; it's not safe. But it is gorgeous. And um, I still remember when we had finished. We'd, we'd been you know hiking and camping several days and you know, smelled really bad and all that, and we got back to the to the lodge, and everybody had cleaned up, and we had a big celebratory dinner, and that evening, I was just lying in, in the bunk bed that had kind of like this, this, this series of barracks, and I was in a, in a bunk bed in a room I was sharing with some other guys, and one of my roommates came in, and I said, where is everybody? We were a group of about 30 or so people. He said, most of them are over in what we would think of as the big living room there in the lodge. He said, they're all over there talking. They're all talking about which celebrity they would like to sleep with if they could sleep with any celebrity on, in, in the world. Now, that's more common, that kind of stuff, than some of you realize. Oh, yeah, that's a really good conversation. <laughs> I stayed in my bunk. See, the world, you and I are not imitating the world. And, 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 and the world doesn't take this kind of verse seriously. I mean, if, if the world, if the culture, if our culture took this kind of verse seriously, most comedians would not be able to have a show. Most, most television programs would not exist. Because the culture says it's okay. And the problem is they don't understand that what you do is this. You're feeding yourself. What you, you, you feed your mind. You feed your soul. You feed your heart by your talk. And, and you can feed yourself junk food all the time or you can feed yourself good food. And one of my favorite meals at Bob Evans that Tammy's taken my order for several times is potato-crusted flounder, broccoli, and she knows it, broccoli, and uh, those uh, diced potatoes, those uh, home fries, which is less calories than the baked potato because I don't have to put any butter and sour cream and stuff on it to make it taste good. And that whole meal is about 400 calories. All right? Good plug, right? All right. And all those years, because you know the, the, the truth is, we become what we eat. And all those years of me eating big desserts and lots of fried chicken at Bojangles, and I love strawberry chocolate mixed milkshakes, and the Butterfinger um, Dairy Queen. What the, the what do you call that? The Blizzard. The, the Butterfinger Blizzard at Dairy Queen. It doesn't get any better than that. Well, maybe the Frosty at Wendy's. It's a close second. All right? But I had to stop eating the junk. I had to lose that 60 pounds I lost. And if you feed yourself junk morally and spiritually, eventually, gradually, you become that.
You have to guard yourself against the old nature, the old way. You have to guard yourself against the culture because we are imitators of God. We are not imitators of the culture. If you take your cue for how to live and how to talk and how to feed yourself from the culture, you're going the opposite direction of what God has for you in life. And how is anybody out there going to know they need Jesus Christ and He can make a difference in their life if there's nothing different about you? So don't celebrate sin. Now, one more thing on this verse before I leave it. Really interesting to me. And all these verses he's... he's, he's, He's writing about how we talk. And here he says we're not to do this vulgar talk all the time, you know, about sexual sins and stuff and celebrate what's wrong. But right in the middle of verse 3 when he's talking about all this sexual immorality, he he, he throws in there something totally disconnected. It's like it's from out in left field, out of space. In the middle of all this talk about sexual sins, he throws in the word Greed. Greed. It's almost like almost 2,000 years ago, God, when he inspired the Apostle Paul to write the book of Ephesians, when he wrote this verse, it's almost like God had the United States of America in the year 2014 in mind when he penned this verse. Sex and money, 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 sex and money. That's our culture. That's what our culture celebrates. And God says, and and here's something else that's interesting. Who created sex? God. Therefore, it's good. Who created this physical, tangible world that is represented by cash? God. And God said it's good. But when we take what God created as good and we corrupt it and use it the wrong way, it becomes bad. And God's beautiful gift of creation and God's beautiful gift of sex, this culture has corrupted and people are ruined because of it. And God says, don't you as my children feed that to yourself. You do it the right way. You do it the right way. And just for those of you who are doubting that God knows what he's talking about, I'm going to throw in a little social research right now, okay? Kids, stop your ears up. Social research tells us that Bible-believing conservative Christians who are married have sex and enjoy it more than those who are otherwise. Because when you do things the way God intended, life is always Now, kids, you can unstop your ears. I'm just saying. Now, why, why greed? Do you, do you remember what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10? The love of money is not, he didn't say it's evil. He says it, it is the love of money, the love, greed, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some belonging for it have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You don't have to be rich to be greedy. You can be dirt poor and be greedy, but because you want something so badly, you're so greedy, you begin making these little decisions that lead you down a path that ends up hurting you and your loved ones. 
greed is the reason, and, and you may not have a lot to show for it, but greed is the reason that a lot of people are living with twenty dollars and $30,000 in credit card debt that they can't pay for. And that hurts. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other, despise, be devoted to the one, and despise, or despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Now, God created this world, and, and there are followers of Christ who are blessed with a lot of, of money. But if you are a greedy person, it will bring pain into your life. All right, I've got to wrap this up. Number five, use your speech to worship Jesus. Worship the Lord. Look in Ephesians 5, verses 19 and 20. He says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord, verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And then I put in your notes and on the screen a parallel verse from the book of the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart. God says use your mouth to worship, to give thanks, to sing. Now, some of you are like me. You don't sing really well. That's okay. God still wants you to sing to Him, to worship Him. And what will help you is to not sit by yourself. Sit where there's a bunch of people because you'll hear a lot of them singing and therefore you won't be able to hear yourself. If you sit so that when you sing you hear yourself and you don't like the way you sound, you won't sing. So get down here in the mosh pit, okay? This is where the spiritual people sit. Down here in the mosh pit. Come on down. And sing out to the Lord. Worship Him and give Him thanks. But did you notice something in both of those verses? Because we talk about singing to God, but each of those verses said something different. They said we sing to one another. Notice that. Is it, is, am I right or wrong? Is that what the text says? Speaking to one another. Sing to one another. Have you ever noticed that? Because when you worship Christ, you encourage other believers. You edify them. When, when you sing and when you worship Jesus, the people around you are more likely to do it. But when you don't, they're more likely not to as well. And there's something else. When you are worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus, giving glory to Jesus, there may be somebody sitting nearby who's going through a really hard time. They need some encouragement. And to know that you're worshiping God might just be the blessing they need in that moment to pick them up just a little bit. I mean, there's nothing worse than going into a dead church when you need some encouragement, right? Right? Well, don't you be the reason this church is not as alive as it should be. Use your mouth. We, I mean, we talk about everything else, don't we? You come to church, we talk about the NCAA basketball tournament. We talk about what we did shopping years. We talk about, the, we talk about everything. When do you talk about Jesus Christ at church?
So stand up and just sing out and sit down front. And give thanks to God. Spiritual songs. You know what spiritual songs are? New songs that, that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. Psalms is the Old Testament book of Psalms that they would chant. Sort of like Gregorian chants. Hymns are songs of praise to God that have been around. But at one time they were spiritual songs because they were all new. Spiritual songs are just new songs inspired by the Spirit of God. Brenton Brown is a worship leader. I think he's originally from South Africa. I think he lives out in California now. But some years ago he contracted ME, which is similar to chronic fatigue syndrome. It's a neurological illness that makes him weak and tired. He's better now, not well, but better. But once he came down with that, his life dramatically changed. Sometime after that, he and his wife were expecting their first daughter, Laura. One week before the due date, they went for their checkup. And uh, Brenton said he, he, he talks about how he can still remember the nurse with this pained expression studying the sonogram. They went in for an ultrasound and they printed out a sonogram of it. And she was just distraught looking. Because a week before the due date, their little girl, Grace, her heart had stopped beating. And a few days later, his wife gave birth to their dead daughter. Britton Brown turned to Isaiah 40:31. Many of you are familiar with that verse. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And he wrote a song. We sing it here. Called Everlasting God. The chorus, you are the everlasting God. The everlasting God. You do not faint. You don't grow weary. You're the defender of the weak. You comfort those in need. You lift us up on wings like eagles. In the opening line of the first verse, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. That's what a spiritual song is. It's a, a new song of praise and, and worship and dependence on God that grows out of life and the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of our life as He marries it with Scripture and truth. God says, I want you to worship me. You talk about everything. Talk about me. Worship me with your words. Don't just come to church and sit there like a bump on the log. Talk about me. Worship me. Praise me. And have some melody in your heart. And I, I, I want to tell you something. Sometimes in life we have to do things we don't feel like doing. But when you do them, even when you don't feel like do them, eventually you start feeling 
more like doing them. And when you're feeling down the most, that's when you need to worship Jesus the most. When you're struggling and messed up and discouraged the most, that's when you need to stand up and praise His holy name and let God put something in your heart you need at that moment. In that moment, don't look in the mirror. In that moment, look into the face of the glory of God to get you through that moment. And that's what worship and praise is. One last thing. Talk about Jesus to other people. In Ephesians 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul was in prison and he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. I don't know about you, but if I was in jail, I think I'd ask them to pray for me to get out. But Paul didn't. He said, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. At the end of verse 20, that I may speak boldly as I ought to, Paul said, the thing I want to do more than anything else is tell people about Jesus Christ. Tell people about Jesus Christ. Tell people about Jesus Christ. Invite people to church. Invite them to Easter. Invite them to community econ. Invite them to Sunday. Tell them what God's done for you. Tell them how much you love him. Tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Tell them how much he loves them. Talk to people. We talk about everything else. Talk to people about Jesus. Will you stand with me? Will and the team's going to come and lead us. We're going to sing a song. And this is the time of making decisions, of responding to what God is saying to our hearts. And there, there are some of you who just need to stop while we're singing and, and, and talk to God. Some of you just need to sing the words, but others of you, you need to talk to God and, and say, God, right now, here's what I'm going to take off. This is, one, this is one thing about the way I talk, and I'm going to take it off, God. And I'm going to put on a new jacket.